Welcome to The Fight with Teddy Atlas, presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined by Hall of Famer Teddy Atlas and COVID Destroyer. How you feeling, Teddy? Yeah, I feel a lot better, thank God. Um, most important, my family. My family is all good. The kids, the grandchildren, my daughter, my, my wife, my son-in-law. Uh, everybody's tough. So they, they're tougher than me. So you, immuni- they, uh, you immunized them all. Yeah, <laughs> whether they liked it or not <laughs> yeah yeah I've, i sure did um i'm just thankful they were all good and everybody's feel better still a little tired um <clears throat> but you know all this stuff is gone we we're past the the difficult parts of it and um just just you know feel grateful that everybody's okay and grateful to the people out there too can to be honest, um, all the people out there that heard about it when when I mentioned it on the last podcast and uh, and sent their well wishes, their thoughts, their prayers to me and my family, uh, viva the social media, different ways that I still don't understand. But uh, to the podcast, uh, I I really can't tell tell everybody out there how much I appreciate it. Uh, to know that you cared about and that there's so many good people out there uh, that that are thinking about you. So anyway, I just want to thank everybody for that. And uh, thank you guys. Thank you, Ken. I know I hurt you back a little bit. You had to carry me. Um, <laughs> Hardly. <laughs> so thank you. You, uh, you showed up every day and played hurt like a true champion. Well, Teddy, we've got a lot of action to cover from this weekend. It was uh, the story of the weekend's probably the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, let's jump right into it. Starting on Friday night with the Triple G Camille Zameda fight. I know you've got a lot of opinions on this one. So before I um, spoil the party, I'm going to turn it over to you. Triple G gets the late stoppage. I was hoping he'd get him out of there earlier. I had the under in the fight. Um, but... Like I said, I know you've got a lot of thoughts on this one, so hit me. What do you got? Well, I mean, where do I start? I mean, I don't want some people to say, Teddy, you start with the negative, you start with the positive, you start with the in-between. All right, how about just start with the truth? That's always a good place to start. Uh, Another fraudulent fraudulent number one mandatory contender. How did we get to these guys? Um, That's... Again, like it or not, the truth is uh, is like cod liver oil. Uh, remember, you had to when you were sick. Your parents made you take cod liver oil. Ken, you didn't like it. You didn't like it. It was nasty. <laughs> but you know what? It made you feel better at the end. It helped. And the truth, uh, if we can get there, it can make you feel better. It can help. It can help you understand things. And first of all. The way these organizations work, all of them, these whatever you want to call them, organizations that make a lot of money, that have this power, that rate guys, they to get into the top 15, you can you can now play, you can do business. You got to be in the top 15, rated, and to do that, you got to you got to do kind of like what your father did when you were a kid, and you went to a game, and he, you know. He had paid maybe $10 for the ticket. 
So it wasn't the best seat, but you got to the game. And you went to the game, and you're at the game. And then all of a sudden, he sees somebody. He sees the right guy, you know, and he, he shakes hands with him. But it's, you can see that it's, a, it's one of those different kind of handshakes because the hand goes and then it slides out, you know, and, and you just notice something. You notice your dad did something. And then all of a sudden, the guy says, follow me. And your seat changes. You're, you're, you start walking to, <laughs> towards the front. You're bringing you back so many memories for me of like, hey, buddy, there's two seats down there. Anyone going to use those seats? Maybe. There it is. Okay, and shake memories my hand. For, and memories for all of you, for everybody <laughs> else, for our fans out there. I haven't thought about along, that in ages. That are following along. Now they are, Ken. And they're following along with us. And hopefully that's why they watch this show. And hopefully why they enjoy this show. And so you, you're getting closer and closer and you're saying, wow, my dad got the best seats. Look at this seat. Wow. And the other guy, if you keep watching, his hand, after the handshake, it goes into his pocket. And, <laughs> and then he walks away, and you a little shake, and there you are, and you got the seat. Well, that's how it works, Ken. Some things don't change a lot. It's the same thing. The only difference, instead of shaking a guy's hand to give him the payoff, well, you you buy an ad, you 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 go you go and you pay for one of their you you send a donation to one of their programs. They all have programs, different programs, and they're pretty nice. Some of them, and you send a check. X goes to the program. Y goes to, well, you could guess where the Y goes. And then, you know, again, it, it could be advertising. It could be to go to one of their seminars, one of their conventions uh, that they want everybody to go to. They love, a good, they love a good convention, a good boondoggle. Uh, that's all. And, and then your guy is in the top 15. And then once you're in the top 15, well, whether you deserve to or not, as long as that currency was... Good currency, you know, well, didn't turn out to be made, you know, in your Xerox machine somewhere, right? You know, it's, it's, it's good. Well, you're in the top 15. And then the rules work where first come, first serve. Whoever decides to fight another top 15 guy, they become the mandatory. Yeah, it's that easy. So you're number 15 and you fight number 14, and you're the first ones to say, we'll fight number 14, well, you become the mandatory. You, be, you move into a slot where the winner becomes number one, or maybe number two, if you're that low, if you're that low. If you're a little higher, you become the winner of those two, six fighting nine, or whatever. Those two guys become the mandatory if they were the first ones to jump in there. And... You got a lot of different, um, you got a lot of funny looking mandatories. Um, you know, guys that shouldn't have been in the top 15 to begin with. And now they're a mandatory. And some of them, you get lucky. And some of them are deserving. Most of them aren't. A lot of them aren't. And a lot of them lately haven't been. 
And Shurametta for Triple G just, I hate to knock the kid, kid from Poland, he's undefeated. But my God, if you look at the guys that he's fought, <laughs> you'd know why he's undefeated pretty easily. Because they were the guys that were the ushers that walked you down with your father and gave you that seat <laughs> and dusted off the seat. That's who those opponents were. Pretty much. Pretty much. That's... Uh, <coughs> excuse me. So, you have another case. Another reason to watch this show, to at least get educated a little bit in those areas, because sometimes I don't follow social media. So you guys out there, the good people, I hear about it. Thank you. God bless you. You're all good. The ones that hate a little bit, you're just having a bad day. You're having a bad day. I get it. And, and you're fans, and you're going to say, you, don't, you only want to hear what you want to hear. But again, it's like taking cod liver oil. Sometimes you need it. I know you don't like it, but <laughs> you need it sometimes. You're gonna, because it can make you a little better in certain areas if you wish to be better and to be more knowing of certain things, unless you just don't want to know. But this, that, was, that was a joke. And for me, it's hard to gauge it because I know a lot of the fans – you know, they're going to – I get it. You're going to get your pom-poms on. I, I wish I had pom-poms, Ken. My daughter, full disclosure, I, I thought about this last night and the wonderful thing where you can order – what is that called? Where you can uh, – Amazon, whatever Amazon. that is. Yeah, you can order. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's something else. And, and they, they bring it right to your house. They, they didn't get here yet. We thought they'd be here before the show. So I got to be honest. You're going to see it, guys. Uh, look forward to down the road. Don't look forward to down the road. But I got pom-poms coming. Real pom-poms. <laughs> and and the, I think I ordered the, the silver and red. I think I got the silver and red. And, and if I had them, I'd be doing them right now, Ken. Pom-poms. Because it's pom-pom time. Because all the fans, I get it, pom-pom. Get your pom-poms. Get your pom-poms out. And you want to go crazy. You want to go nuts. Triple G's back. You know, he, he looked like uh, Marvelous Marvin Hagler. Uh, whatever. Uh, listen, can we, can we put the pom-poms down just for one second? And, and just a little bit, just for a minute. I know you don't want to live where I live. I have to live in a place called Realville. Here, here. I, see, I got ready. I, I put props, everything up. I got <laughs> that. That's where I live. That's where I live, everybody. One hundred, Realville. Okay, and in Realville, we don't have pom poms. Okay, we we don't have pom poms. We we you know we got we got street lights so you can see things. You could go outside and you can see what's real. And they're very bright street lights so you can really <laughs> see everything that's out there. Everything gets illuminated. In maybe, real too, may, maybe too bright for some for some instances. Yes, yes, because we every once in a while we'll get somebody wandering into the neighborhood with dark glasses on. We shoo them out. <laughs> we we tell them no, you can't wear dark glasses in this neighborhood. You have to you have to leave. 
You have to leave. You, you have to take those dog glasses off. You have to see the light. You have to see the light. It's part of the rule of visiting Realville. So in Realville, we see what Shiver Matter was. And we look into things in a different perspective with context, context, where we say, wait a minute, Triple G looked good, but with who, with what? And then we examine it a little further. He looked good. I'm not taking that away with the pom-pom. I get it. But with a guy that you could do anything you wanted to, Ken, I still look good for a few minutes maybe on a heavy bag. I was right. just going to say to you, you should see me hit a heavy bag, Teddy. When it's not hitting me back, everything is perfect and flawless. Pretty Punches good. are flying from everywhere. And that's Pretty what it good. looked like with Triple G. Sugar Ray right out. <laughs> that's okay. Sugar Ray right out. I've seen him, guys. I've seen him. That's what it looks like. And, and, but the only thing is most people don't have Everlast written on their forehead. Usually, if you're really going to get into Realville, Realville, you don't want Everlast on the forehead. Not in Realville. So that's number one. And then number two, here's the question for me, because we really do x-ray these things. That's why you watch the show if you watch it. We're going to x-ray it. We're not just going to Again, we're not going to wear the pom-poms as commentators. We're not going to be shills. We're not going to do that. We're going to, we're going to look out. We don't worry about getting fired. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't worry about that. We don't have that hanging over our head. We just worry about telling you guys what the truth is and what we know to be the truth from reality, from experience, from knowledge from behind the scenes. So now, the only question now is, to me, did it become a point where Triple G started to carry him? Because it looked like he started pulling on his punches. He wasn't throwing full, and he's doing anything he wanted, and it almost looked like he was carrying. So the question for me was, was he trying to get work in now, knowing that he had it his way? And there was no danger. Normally, there's danger inside that ring. There was really relatively no danger. Or was he not able to get rid of this guy he should have got rid of? And again, Realville. What? Because at that point, it became a point after two, three, four rounds, whatever. It became a point where, you know what? Triple G is back to what we want him to be, what the fans want him to be, what we've known him to be. You know, at this point in his career where we're not sure if he is and we have doubt that he might not be there. But if he is, he's supposed to get rid of this guy. He's supposed to get rid of this guy. He's supposed to run him over like a, like a monster truck would run over a Volkswagen. He's supposed to run him over. I, I know you do it with, with good form, but you got to run him over. You got to get rid of them. And the longer the fight went on, and I'm listening to these commentators, and it's like they're at an Elvis concert, you know, shrieking, like, like making noises, like, oh, oh, ah, e, oh, oh. I mean, 
after a while, I was like, wait a minute. Did I miss something here? Am I, maybe, maybe I'm at a concert here. Maybe I'm at the old Beatles concert. We went back in the time machine and, and the kids are screaming for the Beatles. I, I didn't see the screaming because, again, the longer it went, I'm like, okay, you look good, but now it's time to get rid of the guy. And he's still here. And is he carrying him? I can't give a real grade the way I want to give a grade because I don't know if he's carrying him or if he just doesn't have the capacity to really get rid of him the way he should right now, even though he's dominating. So all of those things, I mean, all of those things were in the air. If you're going to look at it in the, with some kind of proper perspective, proper context to what you're looking at. You know what it would be like, Ken? It would be like for the fans. Listen to me, guys. It would be like, just for a second, turn off the fan stuff. You know, the fan is fanatic. I, I understand. And you're allowed to escape to where you want to escape. But for one minute, turn the volume down on it. Just for a minute. And imagine you were watching the great Michael Jordan. And you wanted in your mind now to see now if Michael Jordan could come back and be competitive with LeBron. Because that's what this is about. We really want to see if Triple G, if we cut to the chase, we want to see if he could be competitive with Canelo. That's what it's all about. You could, you could go sideways this way, that, but that's really what it's about at this point in their lives. This point of being a fan of Triple G for the most part. You want to know, can he still beat Canelo? Can he get in there? Can he, can he get that third fight? I know it's, can he be the best? Can he be champion again? But you want to know the way that you really measure it. Your real yardstick, your real thumbnail for measuring it is Canelo. Can he be in there and beat Canelo? Can he still be in those kind of fights? And so if you wanted to do that, and you're doing it, say, with Michael Jordan, the same thing, to see if he could be competitive with LeBron. You wouldn't put him in a one-on-one -on -one game with a kid in elementary school, junior high school. You wouldn't do it. But that's what they did. That kid, Shemetta, all the heart in the world. I give him all the credit in the world. But he was an elementary school guy that was in there with a Harvard graduate. He, was, he, he didn't belong in there. So if Michael Jordan is playing a junior high school guy and he dominates, what are you going to say? He's ready for LeBron? No, you're going to say he beat a junior high school guy. Well, that's all I'm saying, honestly, is that look at who he beat. And if it was Michael Jordan, going back to that example, which I think is a good one, if it was Michael Jordan, if he didn't blow the guy out in four minutes and get to the score of whatever the, the ultimate score to win the game was, if he didn't do it within minutes, you would say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Michael has, we, we got to think twice about this now. And that's all I'm saying. He should have done it faster, uh, maybe a little cleaner. It shouldn't have went to the point that it went to where the guy 
they have to stop him on his stool. I know that, you know, it was a terribly mis, just one-sided fight or fiasco. But those are the elements that I just mentioned are the elements that if you're going to grade something, you know, that's what you get graded on. That's how you grade something. If you put a test in, your, your teacher's not going to say, you dress nice coming to school today. I'm going to give you an extra 20 points. You know what? You're, you're, you, you, you're a nice kid. Uh, and I, <laughs> I know that you're a good kid. So I'm going to give you an extra 15 points for that. No, you get graded on what you put on that paper, what you're capable of, what you show. And that's how I'm grading it from all those elements. And that's the way I saw it. That's the way I saw it. Uh, triple tree, you could say, go, go gaga, get the pom-poms if you want. But look at all aspects of it. Go to Realville, just for a minute. And don't wear sunglasses. Well, one guy that got a dose of Realville was a Triple G promoted fighter, also trained by uh, Jonathan Banks, Ali Akhmedov, in against Carlos Gongora from Ecuador. Both guys undefeated. <clears throat> Gongora clearly brought in to be an opponent, but someone made a clear miscalculation. They brought him in on three weeks' notice from Ecuador, allegedly at 190 pounds when he got the call for the fight, got down in three weeks to 168 to make the limit. Ali Akhmedov had him in trouble in the second round, had him on Queer Street, hit him with a couple equilibrium shots, hurt him again, maybe in the fifth, but around the eighth round, Gongora wasn't going anywhere and started to turn the tide and slowly, slowly, like to use your analogy, the tide just kept rising. And in the 12th round, Gongora scored a savage knockout, knocked him out clean uppercut awesome fight incredibly entertaining fight i don't think it was meant to be that entertaining and um this is one of those ones where it's a regular occurrence in the ufc but my god what a, what an entertaining awesome fight it wasn't even close to the co-main there were two fights between this and triple g that could have been two of the most boring fights i've ever seen but to go from this akhmedov fight and Gongora fight to those other two was such a contrast. But what an awesome fight. I know you had a chance to watch it. What, what were your takeaways there? Uh, you hit it on the nail. Uh, this is what boxing should be. Two guys with a chance to win. And sometimes the, the guy you don't think has the chance wins because he always had a chance because he knew how to fight. The Southpaw Gongora, he was, he was better technically. Uh, Agmadorf... Agmed, uh, he was physically stronger, bigger, uh, more aggressive, and he got the edge early, as you said. Looked like it was going to be, you know, a wipeout for him, possibly. But when you're not a fight, that's the great savior. You know, that's the great X factor. You're supposed to not have a fight. And Akhmadov, uh, you know, maybe they should spend less time on his physical training and more on his technical training. And again, the truth is the truth, because Gongora had better technical training. He was the more complete fighter. The southpaw, that's a, that could cause a problem, I get it. But on top of that, he was better defensively. He was better technically. Uh, and to his credit, he never panicked. He never fell apart. He acted like a fighter. He behaved like a fighter when the test came. Uh, he was a fighter. 
Uh, he, he never lost his cool. He never lost his faith. That's uh, what boxing teaches you out there. Never lose your faith, people. Never lose your faith. You could have a bad round. You could get dropped. Don't lose your belief in what you had going in. You believe? Stay with that belief. And he didn't let Agmadov take that belief away from him. It reminded me years ago, 30 years ago or so, Ken, I was in Miami Beach training a fighter. I, I trained Simon Brown, welterweight champ of the world down there. And, uh, but then after that, I went back to Miami Beach. Again, 30, 35 years, I don't know how many years ago. Uh, and I trained Christy Ozo. He was super middleweight champ of the world from France. And we were training for a fight there. And while we were down there, we were training the same place I trained Simon Brown. In the great old, doesn't exist anymore, it's condominiums now, but in the great old Fifth Avenue gym uh, in Miami Beach. It was the gym where Muhammad Ali came out of, where Angelo Dundee had that gym, and he, and he uh, brought up, and he, he developed Muhammad Ali in his early stages in that gym. So, I've, you know, it was a special place to be, historic place to be and I'm there and one of the historic one of the legendary guys from years ago he fought in the 40s even the 30s the 40s he was a great lightweight champion he probably sold out Madison Square Garden more than anybody else in the history of the garden he was an entertaining fighter uh, you know that just by me saying that he sold out the garden so many times he was a lightweight champion of the world tough tough as nails Bojack, and he was there. He was older now, but he he would he was there, and you know that meant something to me, to be able to meet a guy like that from that era, from those great fights, and he fought them all. He fought Bob Montgomery, fought Ike Williams, some of the greatest lightweights of all time, and we talked one day after one of the workouts. I used to love to talk to these guys. I felt that it was a privilege to be able to talk to them and hear their stories and their history and share it for a minute. And he started telling me, Teddy, when I fought Bob Montgomery, he said, the time that I lost to him, he fought him four times. He won two, he lost to him. Bob Montgomery was a great lightweight champ. And he said, the fight that I fought him, and he's watching me, it was funny, he was watching me train Tiozo. And the reason we got into this conversation was I was telling Tiozo, to shorten up the shots a little bit, make them a little more concise. And after the workout, he says, Teddy, when I fought, when I lost to Bob Montgomery, afterwards, I had to think of why I lost. And I realized why I lost. And, he, and the guys from those days put things in very simple terms. He said, I lost because I was doing this while he was doing this. <laughs> bang bingo bam right there right there in life it's that simple sometimes sometimes it's not more complicated than that he was doing things more concise technically better montgomery punching straighter and he was getting in between bojack's wider punches and so that's what this fight reminded me of that gongora was doing this <laughs> while Akmadov was doing this. And that was it. At the end of the day, that was it. And a beautifully placed uppercut, as you alluded to, uh, 
beautifully placed, knowing what punches to throw at the right times, a better array, a, a better array of punches, uh, a better repertoire, more sophisticated, more dimensional. The other guy was one-dimensional. That's what, that's what Gungora was. And, and the funny thing is, in boxing, you can't judge a book by the cover in life. Same thing in boxing. He looked the meeker guy. He looked the less physical guy, right? And he was. He was the less physical guy. But when it came down to it, he was the more physical guy in the areas that matter, where physicality is really judged properly in this way and in a way of using whatever you have physically to the utmost, to the extreme, to the best that you can use it, being taught how to use it. And that gave him the power, even though the other guy was the bigger, you know, stronger guy. So that was a perfect example for all you people out there. Perfect. Learn what you got to learn. You know, it's not just about being the fastest or the strongest, you know, or even the, even the number one in your class. Don't get discouraged. There are other ways to catch up. <laughs> yeah. There's other ways to catch up that's available. It's got nothing to do with genetics, nothing to do with who your parents were, you know, how small you were, how you didn't drink enough milk when you were little, whatever. You didn't eat enough meat, you know, you, you threw the meat in your cups of your pants when your parents weren't looking, right? <laughs> you know, because you didn't want to eat the hamburger, whatever it was. So, you, and, but you can make up for it now. The right attitude with the right work ethic with facing things. You can make yourself stronger in other ways here by being disciplined, by being honest with yourself, by facing things that other people avoid. So that's, what, that's part of what Gungora did. And that's why he, as Ken said so properly, uh, he pulled off the upset. And probably with all his technical skills, living in Boston, title town is probably what put him over the top. Oh, there. of course, of course. Right? I'm sorry, I left that part out. I, I, I should have started with that. From Boston, by way of Ecuador, we've adopted him now. He's officially a Bostonian. Well, of course, of course, of course. <laughs> and of course you, you do you know that I read somewhere, and I don't know if this is accurate. Sorry for the lack of time. I didn't have enough time to fact check this, but I don't even think he had a promoter, Teddy. I think they picked him up. They clearly thought they would get an opponent. And I read uh, today that he's uh, now signed with Matchroom Boxing, and he picks up a world title for his troubles. Yeah, good so, Good, good story. Uh, that's the other thing I wanted to just quickly say is, I mean, Matchroom is they—they they seem to be uh, taking over in boxing. I mean, they—they're putting on. That's good Eddie fights. Hearn. Just Eddie Hearn. Out there. That's Eddie Hearn. Eddie Hearn, and we'll get into a little bit more later. Uh, we'll we'll talk about this in in detail later. But he had some of the um, top ranked guys on uh, being being interviewed on the Zone broadcast, which is super entertaining, and we'll get to that in a minute. But first, let's get to. Um, um, unlike this fight, which on paper looked to be a one-sided mismatch, Canelo was in tough on paper against Liam Smith, Ring Magazine. He had a couple other titles, 102. Um, by all accounts, looked to be a pretty competitive fight. Odds makers had it relatively close in the grand scheme of things. But on fight night, it was anything but close. It was almost uh, another version of a guy just hitting a heavy bag. I mean, Liam Smith coming into the fight was very well-respected, well-regarded. Sorry, Callum Smith, not Liam Smith, his brother. Callum, well-regarded, well-respected. 
But my God, Canelo, in my view, and I'm curious to hear your your opinion on this because that's what everyone really wants to hear is Canelo to me became, is, is the pound for pound best. I mean, what he did to um, Smith was just, he humiliated him the whole fight. He, he, he took him apart. In the 12th round, it looked like he, I don't think he broke his arm, but he damaged his tricep just like wailing on his arms as Smith kept that high guard and his tricep after the fight was all swollen. His face was punched in. I mean, he did a number on him. Canelo was in complete control. And what struck me as, what one thing that really struck me is Canelo's comfort in the pocket. I mean, he was slipping, bobbing, weaving. It seemed like Smith could have had a hammer in there. There was nothing he could do to Canelo. Canelo had no respect for him. Later in the fight, he was just doing whatever he wanted to. But I'm curious to hear your take. Um, Canelo, I mean, unbelievable performance. Did you Do you think it was more Canelo's performance, or do you think Smith just was way outmatched? Well, you got to do the job. You know, there's there's an old saying in, in the world, uh, in the world of competitiveness, or the world of function of doing things uh, no matter what the job you got to get the job done you still got to do what's got to be done you know whether it's a football team out there with a team that they're supposed to be able to run the ball on you still got to block you still got to take care of your assignments you still got to hit the holes you still got to you still got to do what you're supposed to do even though you're supposed to do it on paper and the opportunities and the advantages are there you still got to go do it and he went and did it uh, methodically, broke him down. Uh, but, again, Realville. We live in Realville. And this should not be compared to the opponent of Triple G. The opponent of Triple G, not knocking the guy, but just to make, again, the, the proper comparison to get, you know, get to a strong point right away. It, it was like being in a store with a mannequin. I mean, instead of with a salesman. I mean, when you go in there, sometimes the mannequins look real. They do. And you get closer and you say, oh, oh, oh I'm sorry. I, I, thought you were, uh, I thought you were a person. It's a mannequin. <laughs> so Triple G had a mannequin. Uh, again, tough kid, everything else. I hate. You hate to have to go down that road. But to make the comparison, to make it clean, to make it clear, Canelo didn't have a mannequin. This, this guy was a guy who had a world title. I, I was the one who said on our podcast, you know, that the biggest difference was going to be, one of them was going to be the difference of opposition. I mean, Canelo fought everyone, obviously. Who did this guy fight? You know, he, he beat he beat George Groves. And, but see, I never look at those guys over. I'm sorry. I'm not knocking you, you guys over there, my brothers and sisters from across the pond. But some of them, the European guys, they're just serviceable guys. They're tough. They're serviceable. Murray, good example. Grove, good, tough guy. Uh, uh, but they're, they're just serviceable guys at a certain level. They're not at that next level. They're not. They're just not. They're, and I never thought George Groves was at a world caliber level. So when they say, well, he beat George Grove. First of all, George Grove had one leg in the shadows of his career. He was, he was a little used up. But I never thought he was that level of a guy. I, I, so the guys they're beating over there are a little different than sometimes the caliber that we want to really be able to judge a guy on. And 
So I had my real doubts about just changing the level of competition. Just like when you watch, you know, these games, whether it's college football, college basketball, whatever, you, you see these teams that are good and, and they're, they're good, they're beating everybody. But then they go to the next level to play Alabama and to play Ohio State and, and Clemson. And, and then all of a sudden you say, whoa, <laughs> whoa. Two perfect examples this weekend. Joy, uh, Notre Dame getting blown out by Clemson and Florida getting destroyed by Alabama, although Florida made a late surge. But those guys, like th those teams, Clemson and, well, and, Florida, and Alabama. Florida, I, think is a, I think Florida's a top-level team, at least definitely offensively. I, I really do. I think that that was a hell of a game. But I'm just saying that you get to that, that different level. And he hadn't been in that level, Smith. And then – so that was my big thing going, handicapping it for the good people out there, was saying, look, big difference in level of competition here. Big difference. The guy has the physical assets. The guy's uh, got the belief, you know. The guy's got the, guy's got the belief. Uh, Smith being the guy undefeated, uh, world champion. He's got all that. But reality can hit you fast. And he's six three, as I said. He, you know, he's got good length. Uh, he fundamentally knows what he's doing, but it's a matter of being able to execute at that level. And he wasn't able. He wasn't able to take those physical. He wasn't able to make those physical assets that he had, that we all thought would give him a chance, maybe a little bit, even though I didn't think it was going to be competitive. But we all were hoping it would make it competitive because of those physical assets but that was against a different level of opposition on a different stage he didn't have the ability to take those physical assets the length the height uh, he could punch a little bit uh, he technically knew what he was doing he didn't have the ability to execute those things on this stage with this opponent at this level he didn't have the ability to make that equate into what it looked like on film with other guys. Uh, that was, that's the best way to put it. You know, he, he just, he, again, Smith was not, but he was still, he's still a different level than, than the guy that's triple G for it. He, he's a guy that still will be able to win fights. He's a guy that, he hung on there, showed a lot of heart. Uh, he, he did land a couple of shots I took notice of uh, because I want to see everything. He landed a few shots on Canelo. Canelo's got a great chin. He, he, if he landed those shots on lesser guys, um, he would have affected them. And he did. He landed a couple of good shots. But Canelo is the full package. He's got the belief. He's got. He's technically gotten better. Uh, he's got the talent. He's got the, you know. He obviously has the experience with top guys. No, so he knows that he can always win at that level. Smith went in there not knowing, and that's a big thing not to know. And again, he wasn't able to use those physical attributes that we could look at on paper, on film with other guys. He wasn't able to put them to play on the playing field that he was now on. He, and that's the credit to Canelo. And so, but again, I'm, I'm repeating myself. Do not think that this guy 
was a mannequin. He wasn't. This guy was legitimate in the, in the realm that he was legitimate, uh, that he could beat certain guys. Uh, he just didn't belong in this realm. But there was much more to him than he Canelo was in more of a real fight by, by, by light years in comparison to what Triple G was in. Because if Canelo didn't do what he was supposed to do, he could get caught. The other guy could do certain things. Uh, there was something to overcome for Canelo, and he overcame it quickly. But there was really nothing to overcome, really. Honestly, you could make a lot of mistakes if you were Triple G that night, and you still could survive it. You still could be okay. And that's, that's the truth, and that's the difference. Uh, having said that, I knew the fight was over in the first round, and I started tweeting out there. And I, I, I said early on, this is going to be an awful long fight because the one thing that's not supposed to happen just happened. Canelo got inside with the much taller, longer guy too easy. Just too easy. Too easy. Way too easy. Like back in the days when the great Will Chamberlain was playing basketball and he was the biggest man in basketball, Ken. And in the game, if you were able to lob the ball into him without it being knocked away, without it being blocked, without it being some deterrent to get the ball into him, you knew it was going to be a long night. You knew you weren't going to win. And because you, you couldn't let him get the ball underneath the basket, being a bigger guy like that. Well, the same thing here. Soon as I saw Canelo walk in, so easy, so easy, I said, oh, forget it. Fight's over. I know we got to keep going down the road. Fight's over. You can't let him get in. The one thing that he's got to do is keep him outside, make him pay a price to get in. And he wasn't able to do that. He, I think he was frozen a little bit. I think it's Canelo. I think it's a combination of those things. Uh, again, you want the x-ray machine? I'll give you the x-ray machine. It's to the Canelo fans out there. Yeah, he looked great. But the x-ray machine, the CAT scan, um, Canelo was patient. He was all the things you want to be. But maybe a little too patient after a couple rounds to the point where he may have – it didn't matter. But he may have allowed Smith to, to – start to believe that at least he could exist. He could stay. He could survive. He could belong a little bit. Uh, and where if he would have pushed the pedal to the metal a little sooner, he might have actually stopped Smith before Smith gained a little confidence or, or started to believe that I can at least exist. Where when he wasn't sure if he could do that early, if he would have pushed the pedal to the metal, put the gas on a little... He, he might get rid of Smith a little earlier. But at the end of the day, dominant performance, dominant performance. And also, also just, I, I, have to, I have to be fair. I was saying when they were going crazy over Triple G, like, like kids at a Beatles concert. <laughs> I mean, can you calm down a little bit? Just a little tiny bit, please. When... <laughs> I, I, I don't know. When, when Canelo did what you're supposed to do, got away from a punch, and, and you go, wow, my God, look at that defense. Look at that. I mean, it wasn't exactly Pinnell Whitaker. Um, <laughs> you know, it wasn't exactly Floyd Mayweather, you know, dealing with Roberto Duran. 
uh, throwing combinations or, or something like that. Really, really, not for nothing. There were single shots, sometimes two shots. Okay, he got away from most of them. Not all of them, but most of them. But please, he's supposed to get away from them. That Again, put it in context a little bit. Just, just I, I know it's hard. I know, but I got to be here. I got to be, okay? <laughs> come back. Come back. Come back. Come back to 100 real Phil. Visit 100 every once in a while. Just, just calm down just a little bit, really. But because it wasn't Marvin Hagel, like I said earlier, you know, throwing punches at him. So, yeah, he got away, yeah. But please, that giddiness, that, I mean, come on. Oh, my God. Uh, you lose your credibility after a while. You know who you know who wasn't in uh, who wasn't giddy was uh, on the on the call was Demetrius Andre. They went to him for a minute, and he said, uh, contrary to what the, all the uh, fanfare from the other announcers was, <laughs> Andre goes, "Well, clearly Smith isn't here to win." Deadpan. They were all kind of like, uh, "What the hell are you talking about?" He's like, "He's not doing anything to win this fight. There's he doesn't have anything that's threatening. He can't win the fight. He doesn't want to win the fight. He's not here to win." And I thought that was just it was just such. Uh, stark contrast to the um, to the commentary that was going on prior to him, and they immediately got away well, from he does. him. Listen, I, I don't completely agree. Early on, maybe you, you, you're not sure about it. You could start to go down that road a little bit early on that he's frozen, he, the lights froze him. Maybe you could say that early on, to fairness. But then as the fight went on, uh, and he was he was trying the best he could try and the best that he could do at that point. So that that I would disagree at that point. But let's remember now, everybody's got a different perspective. Everyone's got a different agenda, right? Everyone's yep. got different incentives. You know, these guys are getting paid to say certain things on the air. He's not getting paid. He His thing, Andre, is he wants to fight with Canelo. Canelo's the golden goose. You know, so that's, you know, that's... Uh, Let's, let's look at it again. Let's, let's, here, one more time. One more time. Okay? Let's visit Realville. And, and uh, the real incentive for Andre to say that is because he's looking for the fight. You know, he, he's looking for some light to go on him. Yeah, he, it's a business for him. He wants to fight the Golden Goose and make that kind of money. I can't blame him. Can't blame him. That's, I liked that's hearing the contrast, though. I liked hearing his. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. no, I, I, I got you, Ken. And, and yeah. And, uh, but again, uh, you know, Canelo, I, he looked good. One thing I think he did show for me, he's not in the same stratosphere anymore with Triple G. I, I know that's going to hurt a lot of the fans again out there, but I'm just saying right now, he separated himself a little bit. Uh, he's, he's at a higher stratosphere than Triple G. Triple G is older. We know that. Uh, he's, you know, I, I don't know how much he's lost from those tough fights that he's taken. He had 400 amateur fights. I don't know because you couldn't really judge from the last fight, but he, I, but I, I don't know, but I do know, what I do know is that Triple G is not in the same hemisphere of ability at this point in his life. At this point of his career, he's not at the same place of capability that Canelo is. 
he doesn't have as much left uh, right now. Right now, I mean, maybe maybe he gets another fight and things change. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But right now, I wouldn't be putting him in there with Triple G. And uh, I wouldn't be putting him, Triple G in there with Canelo. And listen, Triple G right now, again, Realville. I think that I, 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 would, I wouldn't make him a huge automatic favorite the way you might have one day at all now with a Charlo or with an Andre. Well, Andre's a very difficult style. I don't think anyone wants to fight him because of his style and you can't get paid a lot of money with him because his style is not the most exciting, but it's, it's tough. It's effective. I don't know. I don't know if you could just say, Hey, triple G wins with, well, again, whether it's Charlo or whether it's, uh, whether it's Andre or, you know, uh, that kind of talent at, at the top of the division. I don't know. I, again, I know the fight that they all want is the big one with Triple G and Canelo. But I don't think Canelo wants that because I think he's kind of got the attitude, been there, done that, moved on, uh, and he's in a good place. Uh, he's at a place where he just won another belt at 168 pounds, got another division, he's doing all these things. And... And at 168 pounds, he, he, he found a good niche. He found a good, comfortable place where he feels strong, he looked great, and he put all that muscle on. I don't think he wants to take it. It could be detrimental. It's not easy. I don't think he wants to take that muscle off. I know he could do it, and he's still young enough to do it. But I don't know that he wants to take that muscle off from 168 and drop down to 160. And and especially when there's so many opportunities where I got to say this the right way. I don't want to hurt people's feelings, but where honestly there's easy fights for him that are attached to belts that, that people put significance in, you know, whether it's uh, whether it's a plant who's a 168 pound champ or Saunders, I, I, I don't think they're the threats. They got the belt, but they're not the danger that could be out there with other fights. Uh, and I think he realizes that. I think he's smart, Canelo, and his people. And they say, hey, we could get a belt. We could, we could consolidate all, all the belts. We could fight those guys I just mentioned. And we, we should win those fights. I'm not going to say handily, but uh, without, too much, without too much threat. And maybe the best guy there, the most competitive one there, might be Benavides, who maybe is the most dangerous. He's not as good technically as the two guys I mentioned, but he's better physically. He's a big, strong guy. But even there, Canelo's got a big edge because he's so less experienced and he's raw. He's a big, strong, raw guy. He's still got a little caveman in him. And, you know, uh, Canelo... Well, Canelo knows how to beat cavemen, you know. Uh, that, that's, I mean, you take that club away, right? And you, you beat the cavemen. So I, I think that fight's not, for the people that are still waiting for that ship to come back to harbor for Triple G and Canelo, I think, they, I think that ship may have sailed. Well, one guy you didn't mention is the WBC mandatory um, in Avni 
Yildirim, who they're talking about Canelo fighting in February. I mean, I guess that these the WBC might have a, a bloodlust if they want to put this kid in with Canelo because I can't even imagine this going past three rounds. So they're talking about that in February, and then the then a really big fight in May with one of the guys that you mentioned earlier. Um, but speaking about, I only mentioned that because we talked earlier about the mandatories, and I, I, man, it would be. That's not a fight anyone wants to see. And if I were in uh, on on Yildirim's Yildirim's team, I wouldn't want to see that either. You might want to see the payday, but that's a dangerous fight, physically dangerous for this kid. Yeah, again, it's part of the business. They're gonna they're gonna take advantage of what the business allows them to, you know, and and take an easy one, take a layup, take a slam dunk, you know, and uh, you know get paid. Uh, uh, get paid a, a payday. I mean, that's part of the business. You want to, <laughs> you want to make money. You want to do it with the least risk. The fans don't want that. We don't want that. Um, but that's, hey, I mean, that's that's part of the reality. And look, where people say I'm very harsh, I'll, I'll show you how that I'm not. How I do look evenly at everything the best I can. You know, you you look at Duke in basketball, right? The, you look at North Carolina, you look at Kansas, you know, you look at Gonzaga, all the top teams uh, in basketball, in college basketball, if you're a college basketball fan. Well, every once in a while, they, you know, they play Prairie View. Yeah. <laughs> or they play... Uh, you know, North Dakota State, you know, or or whatever. The only difference is Prairie View isn't going to get punched in the face repeatedly. Well, no, it's true, but uh, it's going to be a blowout. Uh, you know, it's going to be a 40-point game, a 50-point game. Prairie View is going to get paid uh, for television appearance where it's going to help their program. And, you know, and so you're going to have the organizations are going to help their programs. They're still going to, they're still going to get a sanction or fee. They're going to get paid, you know, and, uh, and, and it's, it's business when it's allowed. The thing that people should wise up to now with these, some of these fraudulent, uh, as we pointed out, I think the proper way with all the evidence, uh, people should wise up to these fraudulent mandatories and say, Hey, I'm not, I'm not participating. You know, I mean, that's the great thing that you still have the power, just like in this country. If you, you don't like what the politicians are doing, you still got the power to vote. And that's, you know, you still got the power to vote as a fan by, by not turning that TV on, by turning it off. That's your vote. Speaking of, um, the zone has uh, picked up their game considerably uh, since the beginning of COVID. They were nice enough to have some of the uh, other networks' fighters on the um, on the Canelo broadcast, starting with Errol Spence. They did a pretty lengthy, like four or five minute interview with Errol Spence, during which he mentioned that. He didn't seem that interested. Now, now this could be just posturing in terms of negotiating the fight with the potential fight with Errol Spence, which is the only fight anyone wants to see him or um, Terence Crawford in. Um, Terence Crawford and, uh, and Errol Spence uh, is what I meant. Um, so it was just interview. It was just interesting to see the zone actually interview. You never see that. You'll never see top rank interview a uh, matchroom guy or a PBC guy. They very rarely even acknowledge the other fighters. But so Errol Spence during the interview said that you know he wasn't that bothered if the Sp if the Crawford fight doesn't happen and that he thought it should be sixty forty maybe seventy thirty in his favor that he was by far the A side. Just curious if you noticed that and if you had any thoughts on it. 
Yeah, no, of course I noticed it, you know. Uh, and I understand the fans out there, some of them are going to say that by doing that, maybe he doesn't want the fight because he's going to make it difficult. Fans on Crawford's side are probably going to say, hey, he's had that much instead of 50-50, then maybe he doesn't want the fight. And then he mentioned, of course, and <laughs> before he got off, he mentioned that he liked to fight Canelo. So, so that gives even more fuel to the fire that maybe he doesn't want the Crawford fight or he doesn't think it could be made when he wants it to be made. And he's looking at his options and he's trying to, you know, he's trying to build those options and talking about a Canelo super fight where he could retire uh, if he could get it, get that fight. You know, Canelo's too big for him. But, you know, uh, if you start playing with it and you start talking about it long enough, uh, the fans will start believing it. And um, start saying, oh, I walk around at 160 or whatever. You know, they start saying that. I crunch down to welterweight. I'm a huge welterweight. I could easily fight at middleweight. Uh, yeah, then all of a sudden, who knows? You, you could get... Some people could start to buy into it, uh, that, that that could be a feasible fight. That could be a fight. Uh, and then you forget about Crawford. So he's doing business a little bit there. He's, he's looking out for himself. Uh, who knows who else is advising him in that direction. And listen, ultimately, at the end of the day, Ken, uh, Crawford's not free right now, really. Well, really, if you're going to be fair, neither one of them are free to fight each other because you know, uh, Spence, Spence is with Heyman and PPC, and Crawford is with Top Rank and ESPN. Uh, and, you know, I don't think, I don't know if the fans know this, but uh, Heyman and, and Aram, uh, they don't like each other at all. Uh, maybe hate might be fair, I don't know. But uh, for that fight to happen, it would have to be such an astronomical fight uh, for the both promoters to say that they would allow them to fight each other without having full control where they could make enough money where if they lost the fight, they'd still, it'd still pay off for them. Kind of like a Pacquiao-Mayweather scenario where there was so much money in the universe that you couldn't say no to it. Uh, either that or it's more on Crawford's side, I guess, because... He's got X amount of months left on a contract with Top Rank. Uh, the last one that he signed, where he got paid extra money to, to you know, renew the contract. And that's going to run out sometime in, in 2021. And whether it's seven months, eight months, nine months, whatever it is, uh, he, would, he would have to wait, it seems, for that to run out where he could walk across the street to PPC, make a deal with Eamon, uh, where one of the fights in part of that deal would obviously be the spent fight. So right now that's pretty much where it is. Yeah, the other interview that uh, the zone did with a top fighter, which had to be wrangling top rank, was um, Teofimo Lopez did an interview with... Um, with one of the guys over there and uh you know again emphasized he was the a plus plus side now that he'd beat now that he's beat lomachenko and um it'd be interesting to see what happens i mean the fight that everyone wants to see there is uh tiafimo lopez and devin haney yeah well tiafimo has a smart manager he's got a guy named mcwaters and um i think i'm saying his name right and a good man actually a guy that's on come into the business and he's learned the business and he's got a pretty good stable of fighters. He's done a good job with Lopez. And uh, I don't, 
I don't know that uh, that his connections with you know Lopez, his father's involved, of course his manager McWhorters, uh, whether or not they're thrilled with top rank or not. But uh, I know that McWhorters is a smart guy. I know he's a forward-thinking guy, uh, where he thinks a little bit like back in the day with Mayweather and and even De La Hoya with it. De La Hoya paved the way for you know, thinking, hey, why do I need a promoter? Why do I need to give all this money to a promoter when I'm a star now? It's not like anyone has to sell me anymore. I, I, I could do my own promotions and keep all the money. And, you know, Mayweather realized that. And Mayweather did that. And he's, he made astronomical money. And Lopez and his people, Waters, McWaters, might be thinking the same thing. I'm sure they are, to be quite honest, where they're thinking, hey, why don't we just start our own enterprise? Why don't we start our own promotional company? You know, why don't, why do we need to uh, have top rank when we're at this point of stardom now? Why do we need top rank to, uh, you know, to be taking part of the pie that they're taking? So I'm, I'm sure that some of that thinking is in there. Uh, what it's going to manifest to, I don't know. Uh, it might not manifest into anything other than uh, them getting maybe some bonus money to, you know, to juice the up a few uh, the pots there for for them now that they're a big star uh, for them to stay over there. I don't know, but those are all part of the possible scenarios. Well, speaking of promoters, we've got a new super promoter on the boxing scene saying nothing of his boxing skills, but Jake Paul calls out Conor McGregor with some viral videos. Uh, I think you've had a chance to see them, but talk about a a new heel in in wrestling parlance. This guy is like... He is like getting a lot of attention. He said McGregor's uh, 0-1 as a boxer, and he's 2-0. and Now, granted, he's beaten like two amateur uh, boxers, but curious to hear your thoughts on this one. No, and listen, just guys trying to use their stardom in their own place to, to catapult it, to leapfrog it into another place to make big money. Um, being smart, ingenuity, uh, taking advantage of the landscape, the world that it is right now, 2020. Uh, the, he's got 40 million followers. I guess if you got 20 million, 40 million, what's the difference? Whatever it is, I guess when you got that many followers, can you can um, you could talk. Yeah, <laughs> you, could, you could, I, I mean, you could talk and you can do more than talk. You can say, Hey, I got 40 million people that are by this. Uh, let's make it happen. And you know what? Uh, people have done things crazier for less money. And <laughs> when there's that much money, right. That's available. Yeah. That's possible. Uh, he's got the power, you know, and, and he did it with video games, whatever he did it with. I don't even know, but whatever he did it with, uh, being out there, there was, there was a plan, there was initiative. Uh, he executed that plan. Uh, he took advantage of what the landscape, what the environment would allow him to take advantage of, and he deserves credit for putting himself in that position. You know, the rest is up to again, it's up to the buyer. You know, he he got himself in a position to be a seller. Uh, now it's up to the buyer. Are there enough buyers out there? And if there's enough buyers out there, and it seems like there are with the environment nowadays, where people want to, they want to go into La La Land. They want to go into, 
you know, into this place, this realm, uh, you know, where it's, it's a fun realm to go into, to visit, that, that you could say that someday you're playing video games and the next thing you know, you're, you're, you're a world-renowned figure uh, because you, were, you, you got 20 million followers, that you, you now have escaped your, your fence that seemed to be around uh, the limitations of what you could do. All of a sudden, there are no limitations. I'm, I'm Spaceman. You know, <laughs> uh, I, I, I can do all these things that I never imagined I could do. You know, Paul does it. I could do it. He's my guy. You know, I could take the trip with him. I could go to fantasy land with him. And it's not even fantasy land anymore. Now I'm in the ring with, with guys that have been fighting for 20 years and that built themselves up and that had to take all that risk. And I didn't have to do that. And here I am. I'm, uh, who's better than me? Look, I'm laughing at all you guys. You, you made fun of me. And look, look where I am. So I think there's a lot of that going on. And, you know, again, as long as there's a door to, to enter, to go to that, that place, that, that fantasy land, uh, and the fans could go with them, you know what? It's a door they want to open. It's another door. And, and they want quick entertainment. They want to believe that they're in a special time, that they're attached to their guys. You got to remember, these internet guys, these kids that are watching this, that are following it, that's their guy. That's their guy. Just like when we were young and we had baseball cards. Oh, my God. What a difference. We had baseball cards. And we had Mickey Mantle. And we had Willie Mays and Hank Aaron. And, you know, those were our guys. And we would flip for them. We would flip cards for them to try to win them in between class when our teachers weren't yelling at us, when our teachers didn't know what we were doing. And there goes my fax machine. See? All right. Let me turn it <laughs> off. Fax machine off. See? I'm, I'm in my world. This is my, oh, it's still on. All right, wait a minute. There it is. That's, that's Teddy's world, <laughs> where the fax machines still exist. See, I wish I could bring that back. I wish that there could be a market for people that are better than anybody else on their fax machine. <laughs> that they could do more faxes than anybody else per minute. <laughs> that I could spit them out and I could spit them out all over the universe in all kinds of different hemispheres all over the place. And there could be a contest and I could be the king of faxes, <laughs> but the king of internets right now of being able to do that, Paul is that guy. And again, he's, he's able right now to be able to, to take that, that, that leap, into a different world, a world that, like I said, he didn't have to spend 20 years to have the right to get in a ring in front of millions of people and, and, and box. He's going to pick a 43-year-old guy with his backing, again, with all of his followers, where he's going to transcend where he was. And he's going to put, again, he's going to put hope out there to all the people that might be bored with what they're doing to say, hey, you know, I can, I can transcend from this place to this place. I can, I can do that too. I can be part of that. And we had our day, like I said, this is their guy. 
our guys were the Willie Mays and all those guys, you know, and we flipped the cards and, and we, you know, we won the cards and we took them home and we put them away. And we said, oh, man, I'm going to trade. Maybe I could trade this guy. I could trade uh, four of these guys for one Willie Mays. I'm going to go to school tomorrow and that's what I'm going to do. That's that. Well, now it's not done with baseball cards. Now it's done with the the people out there or the internet guys that can get all these followers. And you know what? It's a lot easier to be attached to them than it is to Willie Mays. It is. You can you can be attached to them on the internet, uh, in cyberspace. You can connect to them. We couldn't connect to to our guys. We had to do it through baseball cards. We had to do it through you know just thinking about it and uh, and imagining that you know wow we we know Willie Mays. We have his card. Look. It's on my windowsill. Look, there it is. Well, they got him on their computer. <laughs> they got their guy on their computer. That's their guy. And I get it. I understand it. That's their guy. Their time. This time. And guess what? There's a lot of people out there that understand the market for this. They understand this, the money. And they are, you could say they're, they're exploiting it. Whatever you want to say, but they're doing what, what people do. They're taking advantage of it, making moolah. Well, let's talk about the real king of promotion, and that's Dana White in the UFC. Big card this weekend, round up, and, and, to, to wrap up 2020. Awesome year for the UFC. I mean, they really did a good job. Let's talk about for us Marlon Vera and Jose Aldo. Jose Aldo coming off three losses to probably three of the best guys in the world in his weight class. Um, and Marlon Vera, who's steady, just two super elite guys. And my God, did they uh, did they bring the heat? Awesome fight. Aldo gets the win, two rounds to one. Uh, he won the first and third on all cards, and lost the second on all three cards. I know you had a chance to watch it. What were your thoughts? My, my thoughts was as always. I have nothing but admiration for these guys. Total respect for these guys. It was a chess match on the mat. Um, as they grappled for edges and striking was terrific with combinations. You know, when it was striking, Aldo was unbelievable with combinations, his body punching, uh, throwing a left hook, trying to catch the liver. I even sent a tweet out during the fight that if Aldo could move that left hook about two inches over to the right, he would land it on the liver. And maybe that would have a greater impact on Vera. But then I also sent out a tweet, Ken, where these guys are so tough that the way they look at livers, the way they differentiate, differentiate with anything mentioned in a liver, probably the only thing they would think of would be, do you want to have it with onions or without onions? You know, <laughs> when, when you grill it. <laughs> uh, because these guys throw it out the window as far as what should affect you and what affects other people. Um, they, they find a way to transcend that, to, to just blot that out. Uh, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing. It's like when you get surgery and, and they, they blot out the, the nerves, you know, you stay conscious, but they, they do, I forget the procedure. Anesthesiologist. Yeah. And, and instead of putting you under with the anesthesia, what they do sometimes is they do a, uh, what is it called? 
um, nerve blocker. Yeah, nerve block. There it is. I knew you guys. You went to college and all that. You guys are like this far away from being biochemists. <laughs> well, the internet helped. But you guys are like this far away from being like biochemists, like breaking molecules down, well, at least in my world and compared to what I am. But these guys, it's like that almost. Like they just put a nerve block on this and they don't feel anything because they don't allow anything to deter them from their mission, which is to get to where they have to go, wherever that happens to be. And if it becomes a further place, guess what? We're going to go further. And that's what's great about these guys. And so Aldo was doing some great striking. Uh, Vera, I felt like Vera would have been served in a longer fight where he needed a little more time to try to wear down the, the, the legendary uh, Aldo and the older Aldo uh, to, to try to maybe wear him down a little bit and uh, wear him out maybe with more grappling uh, as, as the later rounds would go on. But it was a three-round fight, three five-minute rounds, which was still extraordinary. And um, I, I really enjoyed the jujitsu. Usually I'm enjoying the striking. I mean, that's my, my world. I'm, I'm looking at that and I'm looking at the intricacies and in the similarities where, yeah, they're both tough, but the guy who's a little bit more smarter, uh, he's going to have the edge. It's, it's always there. It's always in the air and part of the deal. And um, this time I found myself in, entranced, fascinated, with them being on the mat for some reason. I really did, Ken. Where the jujitsu and the grappling, I'm watching them mount each other, get the legs around, get position, keep the back away from the fence. And I'm watching them saying, wow, wow. This is chess on a board, on the floor. And instead of using pawns, they're using just rooks and knights. <laughs> just just the rooks and knights, all the big guys, the big guys, strong, the big artillery. But it's so fragile because one wrong move, you don't get your leg in the right place. The guy gets his arm underneath here. One wrong move, bang. <laughs> oh, that really, I, I get excited thinking about it again. And I just appreciate so much. Uh, and I hope that I, I properly served these guys by giving my, my thoughts on it. Uh, I really did. I really enjoyed it. And as you just touched on, uh, they've been doing it right for a long time, those guys. And there was another fight, too. I'll let you bring up that other fight. Yep, main event, Stephen Thompson versus Jeff Neal. Stephen Thompson, uh, before the fight, went out of his way to, on Ariel Hawani's show to say he's not a gatekeeper, which you could have easily put him into that category because he's had two title shots, lost them both. Jeff Neal, young up-and-coming uh, guy, so they met up five rounds in a uh, main event fight is always five rounds on the UFC along with title fights. And um, Stephen Thompson won all five rounds. Every time Neil got close, it looked like uh, Stephen Thompson just hit him with such quick, hard combinations. And then he would use footwork to step around before, before Jeff Neal could answer. So he was lighting him up with combinations, then moving off. 
and getting in position. So Jeff Neal just could never get off. And uh, by the way, Stephen Thompson's a legendary nice guy. Um, both guys were complete gentlemen. Uh, that was a fun one to watch, but a complete domination from Stephen Thompson. Yeah, I, I um, Thompson had a good game plan. He had a good fight plan. It didn't just happen. He didn't just win because he he was bigger, he was longer, he was taller. Uh, and But it didn't win just because of that. It won because of the way he executed, because of the way, the plan that he had. And I appreciated that right away. And I, I appreciated Neil, how tough he was. But he was one-dimensional. Uh, he was a southpaw, uh, smaller, shorter guy. And uh, he wanted to get in. He knew that he had to, if he's going to stay on the outside, there was going to be distance between the two. He was going to lose, just like if I call a fight with the Styles. Styles make fights. Styles made this fight. Where in commonality with boxing, there's a lot in common, and like I say all the time with these two sports. And Neil had to get close, and he was looking to get close. He was walking in. The problem was he was coming in in a one-dimensional way, predictable way, and again, to the credit of Thompson, he had the right fight plan. He knew what he had to be prepared for. He was tall. He was long. He kept him on the outside. He pot-shotted Neo as he walked in. One of the things that hurt Neo, really hurt him, was he didn't come in behind the jab. If he came in, like I say on ESPN when I was calling the fights, he needed to put bugs on the windshield of Thompson, where he blurred his vision, where he made it hard for him to pick him up coming in. He, if he came in behind that southpaw jab, it would have made it a lot harder for Thompson to pick him off coming in, the machine gun him coming in, to pot shot him coming in. But he didn't. He just walked in for the most part. And in spots towards the end, he used the jab and it made a difference. He didn't do it consistently enough. And Neil was, Thompson was able to control the outside, uh, use kicks, uh, use his length with, with striking uh, to to get to Neil before Neil could get to him, quite frankly, and to keep Neil from getting uh, into the wheelhouse that he needed to get in, which was close to do damage. When he did get close on the fence every once in a while, I thought that maybe Neil could have dug some short body shots in there, uh, done a little bit more on the legs. I know you did some because you made a good point. Thompson was limping at the end. His legs were all swollen up, but I thought just like in a fight, if you're fighting a guy, Thompson knew what he was fighting. Aggressive guy, strong guy, good striker, good puncher. He couldn't let him get close. So he used his legs, his wheels to keep more bounds to control the outside. And he did. Neil needed to understand what he had in front of him a little better. That he had a guy that's going to move and do all those things. Well, you got to take the air out of the tires. You got to do something about those wheels. Because those wheels are going to win the fight for him if you, if you let them keep air in them. So I was surprised I didn't see more leg kickouts from Neil. A little more leg kickouts. Take those legs away. Take, you know, again, uh, take some air out of the tires and some more body work. Again, it wasn't easy to get close to the body uh, because Thompson was doing a good job of controlling range with his length and with his kicks and everything else. And keeping separation. So there was a risk to get close enough uh, to be able to go to the body. But at least the leg kicks. I thought there could have been more leg kicks from Neil. I'm not trying to be a UFC expert, but I know fighting. I know combat. I know, I know what I know. And obviously what my eyes are telling me. 
and I understand the parameters of both sports. I understand the the idea of both sports, what it is. It's to take away the other guy's strength and find a way to use your strength. Uh, so I have fax machines and I have phones. Just so anybody out there doesn't think I still have a house phone. Yeah, I understand the the 21st century we're using cell phones, but it's good to have a house phone. You never know. <laughs> Every once in a while. So I just give a lot of credit to both guys for showing what they always show, which is that miraculous heart and determination that these guys possess, just like top fighters in boxing. Um, they show it all the time. Uh, at the end of the day, again, Thompson had a great plan. He consistently executed, moving, punching, kicking, using the ring. I thought also Neil should have cut the ring down, Ken, uh, where he was following him around, just like in my sport in boxing, where he should have went parallel. Uh, and he should have cut the ring down a little bit. And he did it in one round, right towards the end of the round for you UFC guys that watched the fight. Do you remember that spot where he cut the ring down, he closed it off, and he, he did. He was successful. But it was too late. It was too late in the round. He should have done it, I thought, earlier in the rounds, cutting the ring down and um, shrinking that octagon a little bit. Uh, Thompson did a great job, again, switching stances from orthodox southpaw, uh, using the ring, uh, basically kept Neil one step behind him all night long. Uh, I think I think that's it. The only other thing I would add is you touched on it before, Ken, and I sent a tweet out, but it was just a great way to end the year for UFC. You know, kudos to Dana White and his army of warriors. Uh, you know, he was the first, really, if we're going to give proper we're going to give proper uh, credit here. He was the first one during the pandemic, uh, Dana White and, and his company. He did it responsibly. First one to bring fighting back, where he did it responsibly, looking out for everyone's health uh, by finding a formula that made sense with the testing and everything else. And also, he looked out for his product. And the fans, by doing what he always does, making real fights, competitive matches, boxing could learn from him. Uh, I, you know, and, and it did copy what he did. Again, if you're going to give proper credit, it did copy what he did with how he was able to, again, safely create an environment for the shows. Uh, they, just, they just missed the boat. Boxing missed the boat on the part of putting competitive fights consistently in the ring. They, when they did come back and find a formula in a bubble, you know, to do fights where you're worried, where you're looking out for the safety and the health of everybody involved, but they didn't put the competitive fights on in a consistent way, the way UFC did. UFC just put, they put competitive fights consistently in that octagon. And that's why their product has grown. That's why their company has grown. That's why their ratings are top right now. And again, the fight fans out there, for me to point it out, don't get mad at me. Don't kill the messenger. Uh, go, go get mad at the, the, the people that 
that are that are doing it, that that are allowing non-competitive fights to be made in boxing, because nobody wants more competitive fights in boxing than I do. Nobody, but the ones that have done it for the most part on a regular basis has been Dana White and his group of warriors. Yep, that's right. I think they had a record pay-per-view year this year in terms of revenue as well. But um, Teddy. Thanks for doing this. We've got one more show for you guys next week. We're going to do a breakdown of the um, Luke Campbell versus King Ryan Garcia fight on January 3rd. Um, so look out for that one next week. I hope everyone has a wonderful Christmas. And, Can I uh, mention one thing before of you course, go away? Of course. Uh, speaking of Christmas, I think it's a great segue. If you, you guys are readers out there, you want to buy. We, because of you people, we've become... We're, doing, we're, we're popular because of you guys. And I hope we continue to do what we need to do in the new year. We will always try to continue to keep your confidence that we're a place to go to to hear what some people don't want to say because maybe they have an agenda where if they say it, uh, it's not good for their business. The only thing that's good for our business is telling you the truth. That's the only thing that's good. So it's a simple formula for us. And we appreciate that you guys have been there because there's no reason to do it without you. So that's part of what I want to say uh, to everybody. And have a great new year and all that and uh, great holidays, Christmas, and be safe and love each other and appreciate each other. As Like I said, we appreciate our families. That's where it starts. We appreciate you guys. and. Um, we had a show where we, we had Jim Gray, a friend of mine, come on. He's a very big celebrity out there and in the, in the, obviously in the entertainment and sports world of being a commentator. And he put a book out and he came on and we helped promote the book, uh, Talking to the Greats, uh, Talking to the Goats, I think was the name of his book. And we... We, we had it up on one of our episodes and hopefully you guys enjoyed it with some great stories about Tyson, different guys in there. Um, so we're not going to do that. I don't know that we're, we're getting asked again because of our popularity, because of you guys, we're getting asked by a lot of different authors to promote their book. And we're not really at the point where we're always going to have them on the way we did with Jim. We will sometimes when we think that it makes sense, but we will from time to time put a, a mention of a book that I think, especially in boxing, obviously, that is worth mentioning uh, to put it out there, to do a favor for the guys because they're good guys, because the author is a guy that respects the sport. That's the way I look at it, that he's a guy that respects the sport, that, um, that properly cares about the sport, writes about the sport, because it's important to write about the sport for people to know about the greatness of the sport. So writers, if you get legitimate ones, good ones, um, ones that are conscientious, that do their work, uh, it's important. It's important to let the fans out there know about some great fighters they might not always be aware of or aware of how great they were. So every once in a while when an author sends me a book and I think that he's the right guy, I'll mention his book. And I'm going to do that real quick. And Christmas time, hey, you never know. Might be, maybe you want to buy a box of books. But here's one 
the night the referee uh, hit back. You heard me mention this author a couple of times, Mike Silva. He's a historian. He's probably one of the top three historians probably in the world in boxing. And um, he knows the sport. And another one here that just got sent to me is Brian uh, Dugan. Hey, you all know this fight. You want to revisit it a little bit and uh, especially during these COVID times, sit back and uh, do some reading. You, you have to stay in. You can't go out. Revisit one of the great fights, uh, one of the epic fights, one of the biggest shocking fights of all time, the great Marvels, Marvin Hagler and Sugar Ray Leonard. And then you could still argue with somebody at home who really won the fight. And then finally, I'll put this up there. This is by a guy that's not as well known as some writers. He writes for Matt's Boxing, the internet website. Um, I'll tell you, he's one of the best writers that I've ever seen. He just knows how to write. He gets to the point. He puts it out there in an honest way, in an understanding way, and he looks for the truth. So he, he puts some of his stories together over the years, uh, the, the 30-something years that Billy Tibbs has been around boxing and talking to fighters and people in the business. I, it's, it's enjoyable. So that's three reasons. Can, can you give me the titles and the authors one more time? Yeah, so we got The Night the Referee Hit Back. I love that title. Um, and the author is Mike Silva. Got it. And then we got The Super Fight. That was Hagler and Leonard, of course. Brian Dugan yep. was the author. And then, well, if you like quick essays, I think you're going to love this about, well, I think the greatest sport in the world. And... It's by Bill Tibbs. It's remembering a true champion and chatting with the champ. Got it. And that's it. And I listen, every once in a while, guys, we we try to bring everything that we think makes sense to you to you good people. And every once in a while we'll do that. We'll mention a book. Uh if you feel like picking it up, you feel like looking at it, you do. If you don't, oh, well, you don't. But <laughs> this way we're doing a little something that I think is good for the sport to, to give these writers a little bit of their due for caring about the sport and trying to write about the sport in the proper way. And those will be some great uh, last minute Christmas gifts. If you uh, have anything left to do this year, guys, thanks again for being with us. Like I said, we've got one more show in 2020. We're going to preview Luke Campbell and King Ryan Garcia. So thanks for being with us and, one more to go before we put 2020 in the rear view. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Teddy.